This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. about the birthright of being born again. All I want is the blessings. I want the good things of life now. And then when you have some friends that really have no relationship with Christ, and you say, oh, well, yeah, they're seeking the Lord. You know, some people just seek the Lord for the benefits, only when they need help. You have friends like that. I have friends like that. You only hear them when they need help. And so they want the benefits, but they don't want the birthright. What's the birthright? Be born again. That's the birthright. That's what's going to get you to heaven. People in the flesh don't care about that. When we read the stories in the Bible, it's sometimes hard to understand why God chose one person over another to bless. Like the story of Jacob and Esau, why did God pick Jacob to be blessed and not Esau? Pastor Eddie will be teaching us about the sovereign will of God, because God is creator. He is free to pick and choose as he wills. It's important, though, not to get hung up on this, but to be obedient to God's will for our lives. Well, let's turn to the ninth chapter of Romans, verse 6, And join Pastor Eddie as he concludes his message. All right, back to Romans chapter 9. For they are not all Israel, who are of Israel, nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. Verse 8, that is, those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time, I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And God did come and appeared. And she had a son after Ishmael. It is Sarah had a son, and they called him Isaac. You know what Isaac means? For you students, some of you know, laughter. She laughed. Me having a child at 90? <laughs> yeah, okay. So she called him Isaac. Isaac, laughter. Now here we call see parallels with us as well between the spirit and the flesh. The work of the flesh by Abraham and Sarah a maidservant Hagar, and bringing in Ishmael, so too with us. Through the womb, we've been born of the flesh. And it's not by works that we do in the flesh. Oh, I'm a good person. What's a good person? By whose definition? Yours? Mine? The president? Whose definition? We go by God's definition of what's good. And so it's not by us being born out of the womb. It's actually being born out of the rib of Christ, being born again. And so as as Paul showed us in verses 7 through 9, we saw the sovereignty of God illustrated in the story of Isaac and Ishmael. Now we see God's sovereignty in verses 10 through 13. Paul's going to illustrate that to us in the story with Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau. Verse 10. He says, and not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not being born, nor having done any good or evil, 
that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. In Genesis 25, Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife, Rebekah, who also was barren. You see this, you see the pattern here. The children of God had to be born through supernatural. Sarah was 90. Rebecca was barren. God heard um, Isaac's plead, and Rebecca conceived. But the children in her womb were struggling. They were tossing and turning as, as if they were wrestling, which it was they were. And Rebecca inquired with the Lord, said, thank you for making, you know, for allowing me to be pregnant here. But now something is going on here that doesn't seem natural. <laughs> you see feet popping out and hands popping out and heads. And, and, you know, it's like, what's going on? And the Lord spoke in Genesis 25, verse 23. The Lord said, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger, as Paul quotes here. The older shall serve the younger. Now, Rebecca knows this. She remembers God spoke to her. And so she gave birth to twin boys. The first one comes out of the womb. He's all hairy and red. And so they call him Harry. No, they didn't. His name is, no, his name is Esau, Esau. So as Esau was coming out of the womb, just as he was coming out, the other one was coming out. He was holding on to his heel. That's why he's called heel catcher. He was holding on to his heel. And so they called him Jacob. Now, as time went on, as the boys started to grow, Rebecca sees now that Jacob is favoring Esau. But she also favored her fault. She is in favor of Jacob. And then we read in verses 27 and 28 of chapter 25 of Genesis, it says, So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. So in other words, Esau was a man's man. He was a skillful man. He was a hunter of the field, a rough, tough kind of guy, a guy with a pickup and a shotgun at the back. That's the kind of guy this guy was. And if you wanted meat, you want, oh, I got some deer in the back, you know. That's who Esau was. Jacob, in the other hand, he was a mild man. He was dwelling in tents. He was a homeboy. He was a mama's boy. He was at home watching the cooking channel with mom. That, that's the kind of, so you see the difference between the two. He was a mild man. And so it says in verse 28, it says, And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Again, now she sees this, okay. Something's going on here. I have to get involved here. Rebecca sees that Esau is getting all the favoritism, thinking that he might get the blessing, he might get the birthright. That's what they're worried about, the blessing and the birthright. And Rebecca loves her son, Jacob. She wants Jacob to get the birthright and the blessings. And so what does she do? She tricks her blind husband because at this time Isaac can't see very well. And laying hands on Jacob, put fur and hair on him. And Isaac is just feeling him. Oh, this is you, uh, Esau. But it wasn't Esau. And he gave him the blessing. 
he laid hands on with a blessing. Do we see what Rebecca did? She did didn't she do just what Sarah did? Then the Lord tell Rebecca, hey, listen, um, the older will serve the younger. I'm telling you this before they're born. And that's what Paul's trying to point here, is that the calling was before their birth, without knowing good or bad. The calling was ordained. It was already planned before they were born. And Rebecca was told this, but Rebecca wanted to give God a hand, just like Sarah. Don't we all do that? You know how many times I messed it up by just getting involved and make things worse? We let God deal with it instead of getting involved most of the time. You know, I leave it. I've just learned that most of the time, most of the time, I'm not saying that I'm going to fail on this again because I'm just like you. But there are times I just like to lay back and it comes to the final hour. What are you going to do? Nothing. I don't want to get involved. If it can't be done naturally, definitely that's not for me to do. If it got to be supernatural, then God's got to do it. And if it doesn't happen, guess what? It wasn't God's will. Move on. <laughs> you know, move on. Bottom line. There's another problem that's coming up ahead. I need to save my energy for that one. We get so caught up. Let God deal with it. Let God deal with it. He doesn't need your help just because he doesn't do it when you want it or do it how you want it. If God says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. Let God do it. Now, the Lord already told Jacob, told, told her that, you know, before, we see in verse 11, that before they were born, before they have done any good or bad, they were called. So this shows us that God calls people not because of their good or bad works, but because of God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. Now, some may say, wait a minute. Looking at the calling here, is it fair that God would call Jacob and not Esau? Why would God call Jacob and not Esau? Did God choose correctly? Did God make the right? God is never wrong, folks. Because you're going to find, read the rest of the story in chapters 25 to 27, and you'll see that God made the right choice because you see Esau was a man of the flesh. He cared less about the spiritual things, which was the birthright. He didn't care about the birthright. As a matter of fact, he was hungry. I'll give you you the story. He was hungry. And Jacob, you know, he was watching the cooking channel. He made a mean bowl of chili, and he was hungry. So he's saying, listen, I'm hungry. I'm going to die here. I need to eat. So Jacob said, I'll give you this bowl of chili. Oh, this is a good one. But you give me your birthright. And what does Esau say? He says, what is a birthright to me? You can have that. He didn't care about the birthright. He cared about feeding the flesh. I want that bowl of chili now. That was his heart. He didn't care about that. And because he was a man of the flesh, he went for that. And it's just like the world. It's the same way, especially when you share about the importance of being born again. I don't care about the birthright of being born again. All I want is the blessings. I want the good things of life now. And then when you have some friends that really have no relationship with Christ, and you say, oh, well, yeah, they're seeking the Lord. You know, some people just seek the Lord for the benefits, only when they need help. You have friends like that. I have friends like that. You only hear them when they need help. And so they want the benefits, but they don't want the birthright. What's the birthright? Being born again. That's the birthright. That's what's going to get you to heaven. People in the flesh don't care about that. That's why it's important for us to share. But God was right. He's always right. He's never wrong. And if there's ever an ounce or any hint, or if God was ever wrong, he is not God. 
And always remember that, that God is never wrong. Just because we don't understand God's choice and God's sovereignty, just we don't understand certain portion of scriptures like we're about to read in the next verse, 13, that doesn't mean God is wrong. So let us read the next verse. Let's look from verse 12. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. 13, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Wow, that's shocking. God hates a person, a human being, his own creation, a man? Is that the God that we've always been told? I know for many Christians, that comes as a shock. How can God hate anyone? Is he not the God of love? Oh, yes, he is. Oh, yes, he is. And a lot of people like to take this first, take it out of context. and get, it, it, Some Christians think that this is a license for them to hate people. They think, well, I've dealt with my brother-in-law so long. I dealt with my neighbor so long. For years, I've been mercy and grace. Well, if God hates Esau, I'm going to hate him. You see, you don't understand the scriptures. You don't understand the Bible. There are three things to consider for us to fully understand this when God said he hates Esau. The first thing is that God is not like man. God, people tend to think that God hates people the way we hate people. In the same way, we think that God loves people the way we love people. When we love, there's always failure. There's always heartbreak. There's always unfaithfulness. Man does not know anything about love. So we think that the love that we understand and the love we experience, whether we give it or receive it, that God has the same love. That is not true. So in the same way, we think that God hates the way we hate. You see, when you and I hate, there's a difference between when God hates. When we hate, there is malice, there is bitterness, there's vindictiveness, and there is murder attached to our hate. With God, he can hate without malice, without vindictiveness, without bitterness without murder. You see the difference in hate? That's why Jesus said, if you hate in your heart, you're ready to commit a murder. Why? Because what follows after that? You're saying, well, I just hate him. Well, the reason why you haven't followed through in the hate, because you know the consequences, because if there was no death penalty, if there was no prisons, if there was the, the, res- the result after that, the consequences, you do not. There's a moral compass within you. You know it's wrong to commit and follow what you hate, which is murder. And there are people that hate to the point of murder. That should be in our hearts. But this here is not what the hate that God talks about. Because with God, when he hates, there's no so The second thing to consider, the second thing. And we need to know the Hebrew idiom. I just said that right, right. Hebrew idiom for preference. It's for preference. It could better explain that with God, the hatred here is a lesser love. A lesser love. We can examine this in scriptures. We are told to love God with our heart, soul, and mind. And we're told to hate our mothers, fathers, daughters, and even ourselves. Jesus said that. Let's look at them, some of these verses. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, and his own life also, He cannot be my disciple. Now, do you really think that God is saying you need to hate them? You really think that God is contradicting himself? He says, love your neighbor, love your enemies. 
your mother and father is not your enemy. Well, nowadays, there's some family and enemies with each other. That's not what he's talking about. It means to love less. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, he said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Case in point, my wife and I know a family member for years. There was unfaithfulness in their marriage for years. And we finally sat down with her and said, listen, this has been going on for years and numerous times, this unfaithfulness. You need to see God. You're losing your salvation because you're obsessed with your husband and you're worshiping your husband that he does no wrong in your eyes and you've been hurt. Your children have been hurt. He's done this numerous times. You need to see God. And she lost her salvation. She's still not following God at this point because she loved her husband more than God. John chapter 12, verse 25, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So you see, it's a love less. How can the teaching of Christ tell me to hate myself? Because the second greatest commandment, first, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love you, you know, and the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if I don't love myself, I don't have to love my neighbor. Oh, oh, there's a clause there, Jesus. I don't have to love my neighbor because I really don't love myself. I see myself in the morning every day. That mirror is broken or I'm ugly. I hate myself. I don't have to love my neighbor. Is a love less. That's the second thing. The third thing to consider is that this love less, this hate with God, is not really pointing specifically to Esau, but rather to a nation, to a people. Paul here is quoting when the Lord says, Jacob, I have loved, Esau, I've hated. He is quoting for the book of Malachi. For you Italians, it's Malachi. Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. It says, I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? In plural, talking about people. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. And the reason why you go read on the rest of the chapter, you find out it's talking about a people. It's talking about a nation. It's talking about the Edomites. Are there any Edomites now today? No, they don't exist. So you see, God is talking about a people. Those are three things to consider. So when people don't understand Scripture, you need to look at all of Scripture to make a decision. There is one woman that once went and asked Charles Spurgeon about this very text. The woman said to Charles Spurgeon, I can't understand why God should say that he hated Esau. The great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, says, That is not my difficulty, ma'am. My trouble is to understand how God could love Jacob. It's not so much that God hates Esau because we already know that he really doesn't hate him as we would say hate. But the point is, how can God love Jacob? And how can he include him in this genealogy to bring forth the Messiah? Many people have this mystery. How can God hate Jacob, uh, Esau and not Jacob? When we look at Jacob, he was a trickster. He was a surplanter. He was a heel catcher. And he himself was a deceiver along with his mother. But you see, God called him from the very beginning. Oh, yeah, he's going to suffer greatly. He's going to suffer greatly because he's going to run away from his brother Esau. And he's going to go to Uncle Laban, right? And Uncle Laban's going to say, oh, yeah, you know, you want to work for Rachel? Yeah, seven years. He worked seven years slavery. Oh, seven years come, Rachel, my wife. He goes, 
lays where, wakes up in the morning. Ah, it's Leah. And Uncle Laban says, uh, didn't you read the fine print? Well, in our culture, in order to marry the second, we have to, we have to marry the first one first. You know, finish your week. That's what they used to say. A week to the Jews was seven years. These students. And he had to work another seven years. You see, you reap what you sow. You've been a deceiver. You're going to reap the curse. You're going to reap the fruits. And so God dealt with Jacob. And so the mystery is not so much that God hated Esau. Esau had an opportunity. But the question is, we can't understand why God loves Jacob. And doesn't that really, now we focus, we narrow this in application. How can God love me? How can God love me? I wonder this all the time, and it's impossible. And let me tell you, it's like over and over, I say, how can I understand? It's impossible. I'm a thinker. Sometimes I don't sleep because my mind is racing. Not with problems. I just can't stop thinking. But these little things, I start thinking, and I said, Lord, how? You know, how do you love me? I'm sinful. I'm wretched. How can you love me? And I speak for all of us. No one here is righteous. No one. And I examine myself. So why God loves me? He loved Jacob. That I couldn't understand. But why you love me? Because I mess up and blow all the time. And let me tell you something. We know when we examine ourselves clearly, we stand before God. And God knows our ins. He knows our outs. He knows what's deep in our hearts. He knows who we are. If we want to be honest with ourselves. Because, you know, it's by nature, by default, we don't consider ourselves to be too bad. Even when it comes to sin, when I sin, it doesn't look bad. But when I see other people do that same sin, it really looks bad. When I sin, I think about God loves me. Even when I was a wretched sinner, when I didn't deserve him, when I gave him no attention, when I didn't acknowledge him, he still loved me. He still went on the cross and he died for me. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 said, but God demonstrates his own love towards us. And that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us because he loved us. He loved us. He loves the world. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He loved the world. The world didn't deserve him. Didn't deserve him. So it's not so much... That God hated Esau because that's not the way we would really truly understand it. But how can God love a heel catcher, a surplanter, a deceiver like Jacob? How can God love me? But he loves you. He loves you. Enough to die on the cross. Amen. Pastor Eddie Pinero has been digging into the book of Romans with us here on Running the Race. We hope you've been encouraged by what you've heard today and that you're eager to learn more about Jesus. If you'd like to listen to more messages by Eddie, visit our website at runningtheraceradio.com. There you'll also find a link to our podcast where you can subscribe to receive up-to-date messages each time they're available. If you're in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area, why not come be a part of our weekly worship service? We gather each Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., and again on Wednesday at 7 p.m. for Bible study, worship, and getting to know each other better. 
Find more information at runningtheraceradio.com. Right now, Tracy has some information about how you can be a part of the ministry here at Running the Race. Radio programs like Running the Race are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced, and God has given us a vision to see Running the Race expand throughout the tri-state area. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting Running the Race? Log on to runningtheraceradio.com and simply click on the Give option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. There's much more to learn from the Book of Romans on the next edition of Running the Race.